Hey, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Sina Maria, founder of Micro Glow. How are things in Grass Valley today, Sina? What's up? They're good. It's sunny and, and pretty beautiful outside, so I'm happy. Sweet. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast. And right off the bat, I'd love to ask you, when did you come out of the psychedelic closet and start publicly aligning yourself with these medicines and advocating for responsible usage of psychedelics as a tool for personal healing and for empowerment? Yeah, absolutely. I would say about four years ago, and it wasn't really intentional. I, I didn't have the plan to come out of the psychedelic closet, but I had such a profound life transformation. I was working at Google in Silicon Valley and then got into yoga and then found ceremonial cacao and then went to Peru and had all these transformative plant medicine experiences. And so, you know, there was so many people in my life that were just like, whoa, like what, what happened to you? Like, how did you, how did you just transform like that? And so I started speaking about it really openly already about four years ago. Sweet. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people on the fence and understandably so because up until maybe a year ago, it was not terribly acceptable in pop culture. And I still get approached at dinner parties and with the family and at church events and things like that where people are like, what are you doing? Like, what what are mushrooms all about? So I think it's really potent when you have people coming out to speak courageously and to share their experiences. And there are plenty of people who have contacted me or vice versa with the podcast who say, I really want to share, but I'm not comfortable because of my boss or because of my family situation. And I think that's totally valid. But also, you know, the more we get out there and speak about it and share our stories is what's going to normalize it. So thanks for doing that right off the bat. Now, I gleaned from your website that you, as you just mentioned, were a former tech employee for a Silicon Valley behemoth, we'll call it, and we're all quite familiar with this company. What motivated you to leave that career and fully dive into the world of plant medicines and fungi? Yeah, so I was not super happy in my job. I love the people I worked with, but I was feeling really just jaded. I was like, I can't be in these four walls all day. I'm on this bus for three hours a day on my computer all the time. And so then I I kind of, I jumped into a yoga teacher training. That was kind of my opening. I was like, I got to change. My relationship was falling apart. You know, everything was just kind of shedding. And so first entry point was a yoga teacher training. That was really my first connection with what I would call spirituality, right? It was this understanding that I'm, I'm connected to something much greater. And then I had this transformative experience when I came to Mexico, actually. Um, I was invited to a cacao ceremony. I had never, I didn't even know what that was. I, I had never sat in a group ceremony, had no concept for it. And it was on this beautiful yoga deck on the ocean, about 10 feet from the ocean, and it was during a hurricane. There was a hurricane like 150 miles north. So there was super windy and the waves were super high and it was just really strong energy. And it was my first time, like I said, sitting in a ceremony where there was music and singing and drumming and we had you know intention and prayer and then we drank this delicious beverage 
that was so new to me and it also felt so familiar like there was a part of me that was like wow I don't know this but I know this like I don't know what this is but I need to know more and I had such a healing experience just in that one ceremony that I over the next 10 months I quit my job and bought a one-way ticket to Peru to to keep studying and learn more. And so much has happened since then, which we'll get into shortly. Uh, I noticed that you're in the middle of a 30-day microdosing container right now that runs throughout January, and that has a structure in the form of journaling prompts, check-ins, etc. So can you tell us more about this container that you've designed and why it may elevate a person's experience microdosing? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted it to be a container. Like for me, whenever I introduce someone to microdosing, I say, give it 30 days because it can take some time to get to know your dosage. It can take some time to just to just get a sense. It's a bit of experimentation to find what works for you. And so I wanted to provide a, you know, a community container where we can kind of go along together with daily journal prompts to give people an understanding of what kind of reflections they could do along with their microdosing and also to hear from each other because I think that community piece is so important. You know, like we said in the beginning, people can feel really there's a stigma around psychedelics and people might feel scared to start microdosing, but if they can connect with others that are also starting out, um, that was really the main intention. And then also providing, you know, solid foundational kind of 101 info for people who are like, I don't know how to microdose, but over this 30 days, I want them to walk away with an understanding of how to start. Totally. I never microdosed after 15 years of pretty regular psychedelic explorations and more macrodosing. I got into it after talking to Adam Bramlage on the program and he runs Flow State Micro. And initially it was just a podcast episode and then he reached out and he said, hey, I'd love to get you into microdosing or see if it's something you might be interested in. And ever since then, it's been awesome. So I've, I really found my sweet spot in working out with microdosing and finding that sweet spot too. Cause really I was just bored for a while. You know, I was like, I'm not feeling even anything, even sub-perceptible. I'm not feeling anything. And then I doubled the dosage. So I don't know, maybe I'm at 250 milligrams around there. And I would feel an appreciable difference when I was boxing and be it just the motivation or like being a little bit more present there. I did find that edge a hundred percent. And I can see how if you were to develop around that and you were to build around that and have a coaching practice that I a hundred percent endorse the practice. Now we'll get into some of this other stuff later, but I also wanted to hear about contraindications because I think that's something that's not talked about as much as we hear all about the benefits and this almost utopian value of psychedelics and what it can do for society. But the reality is that there are some challenges, some difficult spots, etc. And I think that contraindications is something that people should be aware of because there are, you know, I used to work in a high school. There were plenty of students who were on prescription medication. So now people are finding out more about microdosing and psychedelics. And I just love to hear if you could touch on that, like what are some of the concerns if you, if you are on prescription medication, what might you need to look out for before you start a microdosing practice? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the most commonly discussed one, because so many people are working with antidepressants, SSRI-based pharmaceuticals, so those work in the serotonin pathways, right? And if you look at the, the serotonin molecule with, and then next to the psilocybin molecule, they look so similar. It's actually like amazing. And so psilocybin is 
a, a natural antidepressant. It works in the serotonin pathways as well. So there's actually ongoing research about this. I wouldn't say it's definitive. Like I think the more conservative approach has been do not combine SSRI-based antidepressants with microdosing or macrodosing, either you won't get the benefits or you could overload your system with serotonin and that's that's not good for the body. So, but there's more studies coming out looking at, at various factors. So I'm not you know saying that's a 100% no-go forever because a lot of people do want to taper down from antidepressants and then switch over to microdosing, right? The other one, you know, if you're if you're working with things like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, I usually, you know, move people away from microdosing and, and getting more, more support because I'm not, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a pharmacist. And so I think that those types of things you want to be really careful with. If you're taking things like lithium or tramadol, we don't want to be microdosing. There's a kind of controversial one where like some people will say if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, you know, we don't want to be microdosing, we don't want to be working with these psychedelics. I actually don't necessarily agree with that. The whole thing with pregnancy is there's rarely studies on this, right? Like what mom is going to experiment on herself and her baby to further the, the collective information, right? That's kind of a risky thing to do. But I know from firsthand experience, many moms that have microdose while pregnant and have found it especially helpful for postpartum when they're breastfeeding and they're feeling that, you know, that cha the challenges of just integrating, becoming a new mom. And so... You know, I think that one is is one that's much more acceptable than than maybe most people think, but I think it's one that's worth exploring. Yeah, we've had a few podcast guests off the top of my head. I'd say Omolewa, based out in Jamaica, who is an entheogenic midwife. And we talk quite a bit about that. And so, yeah, you're right. You know, there's a lot of new research coming out. Old research, actually. It's just being dressed as new research with double blind studies and this and that and the other. And a lot of it's underfunded too, which paves the way for micropreneurs to be able to make some kind of cultural change. Because for example, here in Mexico, there's not a lot of funding for mycological research, but there's this huge wealth of fungi and of ancestral knowledge. And that's part of what I'm doing here is trying to connect this knowledge with people who are able to fund it. And that's kind of awesome. That's kind of, you know, the incubator is sort of born out of that, like merging of networks and of relationships because the medicines of tomorrow are really the medicines of yesterday in a lot of ways. And now we're just kind of embracing them and saying, you know, when you get pharmaceutical, I don't want to, it's almost a dirty word to say, but like you get these larger companies who are interested in this research and that could go a hundred different ways, but we need people to embrace these medicines and, you know, we need people to know if it's safe and to explore for their own, make their own decisions if it's safe. So I picked up from from some of your Instagram posts that you're a big proponent of ecstatic dance. And that's an unfamiliar world to me, though some who have seen me dance would argue that my flapping limbs and two left feet constitute ecstatic dance. It's actually quite embarrassing, but I've enjoyed dancing here while living in Mexico and engaging with different partners on the dance floor who actually have their technical footwork down. And while these dancing partners appreciate my vulnerability and willingness to participate, I've surely had many jokes made at my expense. So just want to hear from you. What got you into ecstatic dance? And ecstatic dance, in my understanding, is traditionally sober, right? Does microdosing during an ecstatic dance, does that constitute sort of a violation of the spirit of it? Or do you think that there's... Uh, you know, a lot of value to doing it together. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it depends on who you ask. I think maybe technically, like, they would say no substances at all. But 
I, I know plenty of people that, that microdose that ecstatic dance. And I feel like for me, it's, it supports me in being open and present and a little more comfortable or vulnerable on the dance floor. So it doesn't feel like if I were to be drunk on the dance floor, that would shift the vibe, right? But I feel like microdosing actually kind of helps me like support the space and, and be a good presence in the space. So I feel personally okay with it. I resonate with what you're saying. Like sometimes I feel super awkward, especially with a lot of people that know all these cool moves and they're like flipping people around. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm scared to dance with strangers. And I don't like making eye contact with strangers. And I, I think, you know, for me, dancing has been no, it was not something I did bef sober ever before I kind of started working with plant medicines. And so it's been a journey, but I feel it's so important because, you know, ancient cultures, like I love that you're dancing more in Mexico because it's such a, a it's more ingrained in the culture there still. But we've kind of lost that in a lot of our Western culture. And so, but like go back, you know, there was always dancing. There was always singing. Like it's, it's so inherent in human nature. Like anyone can dance. It doesn't matter what you look like. And so for me, I, I kind of resonate actually with maybe what I'm picking up on when you say you like to microdose and work out, you might drop in deeper, or like have a, a more present experience. That's how I feel with microdose or with dancing. I feel this, like I'm able to be more present in my body. And I think that that, whether you're working out or going on a walk or dancing, you know, anything that you're doing that's getting in the body, I think that's really good for us right now because we, we need to be grounded and we can get a little flighty out there. So especially when we're working with psychedelics. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And I am hosting this incubator, which we hope to host you at a future one. And part of the learning curve I've been going through, let me tell you, there's quite a learning curve to hosting an international event during a global pandemic. And I'm learning all of those ropes right now. But one thing is about kind of vetting who you work with. And the tendency, I think, especially you want to share this medicine with people. And to be frank, the Mycopreneur Incubator is not explicitly devoted to psychedelic aspects. Of course, there will be some components, but it's kind of a broader entrepreneurship and fungi connection and people and folks, et cetera. But dealing with fungi and with plant medicines, there's kind of this impetus to want to share the good news and get everyone involved. And I've been in situations before where like sometimes you get people in the group and they just kind of fuck the group up a little bit. And so I'm just curious, you know, uh, how do you go about like vetting people you work with and making sure that it's a productive, safe experience for all involved? Oh, that's such a good question. I think I'm really learning that too. You know, I haven't been doing, I'm actually considering in-person group events this year for the first time in a while, but I have done things like, you know, an application process and I'm putting that in quotes, but really just a, a kind of a preliminary writing kind of application where I can get to know someone and just get to learn about them a bit and just get a vibe check, right? Because not everyone's going to be the right fit for, for me or for your incubator. And it can totally, when you're doing group work, it can totally cause a lot of distortion in the field. So I'm still learning that, you know, I, I don't have a great answer, but I just think as much as possible, like either doing phone calls or having like an application process to get to know people first is really helpful. Awesome. Yeah, I did that from the get go with the incubator because I have been in group dynamics in the past where you go, man, they could have probably vetted that person. They probably could have figured this 
out. But at the same time, I have compassion that people need access to these medicines. And, you know, it's great to see all the in- integration groups popping up and all of these different subcultures and pockets. And, and I know another tricky aspect to running the business you do is there's probably people trying to source from you. And as a, as a, a note on that, I posted one of my early TikToks. Okay. I, I avoided TikTok for multiple years. My high school students, I used to teach multimedia production and the high school students were like, get on TikTok. I was like, if you're on TikTok, I'm not getting on TikTok. And then I finally did it. And literally I, I had like a six second video of the chocolate we make, which is functional mushroom chocolate. That's the public facing brand, right? It's like lion's mane, but try telling a bunch of 16 year olds on TikTok that you make mushroom chocolate and see if they can tell the distinction. And my inbox was flooded. It got a hundred thousand views overnight. And I had just like dozens and dozens of messages trying to source mushrooms. And of course you're like, man, just go, you can't talk to me about this. This is not what I do. Okay. First of all, but I have compassion that these are rare substances, right? And that there are people who really want to do this. And like, if you live in San Francisco, you live in, you know, Lake Atitlan, it's probably much easier to connect with this stuff than if you're in maybe North Dakota. So I'm just curious, uh, what has that aspect been like for you and like running this microdosing business, but also being very clear that you're not necessarily a provider of the, of said microdoses? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it sucks, right? I wish I could just like be spreading them because I, I fully believe in their healing potential. And so I don't really, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that it has to be this whole legality issue, but I also want to be a successful entrepreneur. I don't want to get shut down or get arrested or something. And I think, you know, I, what I see with a lot of um, businesses in this, in, in this area is that people are, because it's, it's being decriminalized in places across the US. It's less of a priority for prosecution. So people are a little more like there's kind of this gray area where you can talk about it. It's totally legal to educate and talk about it. But it's also a little bit like, ooh, I don't know. What if, you know, you're putting yourself out there and you're, and you're really just putting like, yeah, putting yourself out there, like I said. You know, I, I try, like when I have webinars, I will try and have a little blurb in the beginning to teach people that maybe have never quote unquote, purchased drugs before, how to be discreet, because that's one of my biggest pet peeves. And the things that actually like, I feel like I'm taking a risk. So when someone DMs me on like Instagram, they have all your data. So someone's a lot of people DMing me like, Hey, can I buy mushrooms from you? Like that doesn't look good for me. That's not helpful for my, my business. Like I feel I would, you know, there's a part of me that's scared that my account could get shut down. Right. So I try and just And also have compassion though, because people are excited and they want access. And of course I'm talking about it. So I get why they're curious. Um, And they've never maybe like purchased, you know, some pot before, or like they've never like talked to people in kind of the underground network. And so I usually just try and educate on like, Hey, you know, please hear my boundaries. Do not DM me directly asking. We can, we can have a conversation that's not on Instagram and I can give you like some tips and I can point you to some growing kits or I can, you know, just, just talk a little more openly. But for me, I really like have a strong no for talking on, on social media. I think that's just like not cool. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm in the same boat as far as moving forward and looking for the long-term interests of where you're at. And 
mushrooms, something that always drew me to them was, first of all, I had an immediately impactful experience the very first time and subsequent iterations, subsequent experiences. And also living in San Francisco and being at University of San Francisco, which also is known by the acronym, it's USF, University of Spoiled Foreigners. So there's like a bunch of, you know, very wealthy people, a bunch of people who are kind of beyond reproach or above the law and a lot of novel compounds available. So it was like, you know, a kid in a candy store, my freshman and sophomore year where I'm like, I've never heard of that 2CBDFMDF. Like, let, let me get it all. But I always thought like with mushrooms, you can grow them yourself. You, your quality control can be on point. You can meet the grower. That never happened to me with some of the other novel molecules and compounds where it's like I had to buy it from some dude with a code name on Hippie Hill in San Francisco. It's like that got old real quick, right? So I, I just think like mushrooms work. They deliver everything that I personally am looking for. They deliver that sense of wonder, of um, magnetic resonance. They deliver a sense of healing too. Like almost never after a mushroom journey do I feel spent or depleted the next day. Quite the opposite. I feel, fuck yeah, I'm on one. Life's good. And like that is a, that's where it's at for me. So I've been on that wavelength for years now. And and it's awesome to see it picking up momentum in the broader global culture. And speaking of global culture, I want to hear your take on moving forward with the mainstreaming of these substances and specifically fungi and microdosing because there's so much mainstream media coverage coming out from the BBC to Time Magazine to 60 Minutes, just like even these insanely conservative networks are publishing about the, are, are promoting the benefits of mushrooms and of microdosing and whatnot. So do you think that this is something that five years from now or however many years we're going to legitimately see as a, a broad cultural component that people microdosing is a normal thing and that, you know, tens of millions of people across the world are waking up and taking their microglow microdoses. Is that something in the pipeline you foresee? Hell yeah. I love that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's my personal, that's our mission for microglow is like, is to get the healing knowledge of microdosing out to millions of people. But it's not just me alone. There's an amazing community of people. And I do see that. I mean, I think with, there's this interesting combination, right, of biotech companies. So, you know, that's a whole conversation with their synthetic compounds and patenting and like that whole capitalist situation but it's also bringing in the money and we're getting the studies. And so there, there is a lot of positive to it as well. And I'm, I'm all for it. I'm like, look, like if my family members who would never touch anything that's not FDA approved are gonna feel safe to go have a psilocybin journey in a therapeutic setting, like, hell yeah, let's do that. That's like, I'm fully on board with that. And I really want us to maintain the you know, the grounded perspective of where this medicine comes from. So, you know, a lot like having indigenous uh, cultures that have group ceremonies or do their own healing ceremonies that they've been doing for thousands of years, like that needs to be um, legalized and supported as well. So it's not just like only the the kind of medical model gets the A-OK. I also hope you know, I don't know if it'll happen, but I hope that us kind of like small guys and, and all the other ways that these medicines are worked with can be supported as well. But I totally see that. I mean, I've seen just in the past four years, I've seen so many more people coming on board with this. And I think we need it now. That's the other thing. Like, it's the medicine of the times. Like, we are struggling collectively, right? Like, it's it's hard out there. So I, I think more and more people are starting to open up to trying alternative things. 
Yeah, and I think there is something to be discussed there about the the IP and the biotech companies because, for example, we read about these clinical trials and like this university did this and that university did that and that study happened, but that's actually all with synthetic psilocybin. And I think that maybe a lot of people when they're discussing it miss that. And part of the reason for that is it's way more replicable, patentable, it's way more controllable and that when you're dealing with the FDA or these regulatory committees, regulatory scrutiny, they want it to be exactly the same every time. So there's a lot of interesting, slightly unnerving research being done, you know, by the U.S. military and interests like that to fund development of these compounds that are essentially psilocybin-like or like, you know, mushroom-like, but they're trying to reduce the, quote, uncomfortable uncomfortability of these experiences and essentially change the whole structure of the experience. That's something that I've gotten into with different podcast guests over the years is uh, I'm just that's something I think is an area of concern like just because this works from a regulatory lens and from this you know merging with with big data and with big money and this starting to get injected is starting to change the landscape a little bit and I know there's a grassroots and mycelium level movement and pushback against that but it's just something that people need to be thinking of as we move forward with the mainstreaming we want this to be accessible to all and certainly we want the indigenous cultures that have been stewards of these medicines for years at great cost to them to be huge benefactors and winners in this movement. And I think there's a lot of people who want to see that happen as they should. So you're in the microdosing lane and you're coaching and you've got your containers and your practices. I'm curious with this broad plant medicine movement, you mentioned cacao ceremonies, you mentioned ecstatic, we talked about ecstatic dance. Are there other avenues of interest in the plant medicine movement or the psychedelic movement that you'd like to see micro glow or yourself as a micropreneur maybe explore or push the envelope a little bit with? Or are you focusing 100% on microdosing right now and that's the lane you're going to stay in? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty clear on the microdosing piece. I get asked a lot if I hold space for, you know, larger dose journeys or bigger ceremonies and over the last couple of years I'm like, nope, I feel just having my niche with microdosing just feels really good. It feels safer for me because there's not as much of like a preparation space holding and then integration as when you're doing a large dose journey and I think there's a lot of people that dedicate their lives to doing that and that's that's not where I'm at um I probably could do it and it would be okay but I I would I would want to be very you know committed to that path if I was if I was going to do something like that but what I am actually feeling curious about exploring is getting some you know having resources and supporting other coaches and other people that hold healing containers, maybe in the wellness industry, to integrate microdosing into their practices and to help their clients get on board with microdosing. I've been starting to get more inquiries from people that have, like business owners that have been microdosing themselves and they're like, wow, I really want to get my clients like to incorporate this into our work together. So they come to me asking like, how do I do this? And you know, asking for all the questions. So that's something I'm, I'm pretty excited about exploring this year. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also something just came up that I wanted to touch on, which we talked about the potential contraindications, but like, what about potential symbiotic substances? And are there anything like, for example, with flow state micro, he's big on this proprietary blend where it's got, don't quote me on this, but like my talkie and there's some lion's mane in there. And there's so many different blends. When you talk to people who microdose, I've seen like we had Peter Retano from Guella and they've got like 14 ingredients in their stacks that they're using. So I'd love to hear your take because everybody's got their own lane, their own way they're doing it. Are you when you're microdosing or advocating for somebody to take one? Is it usually 
just pure ground up psilocybin mushrooms or are there other ingredients that you think boost that experience and, and add more benefit? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, my personal blend is psilocybin organic lion's mane and organic high fat cacao powder. And I usually put it into a ceremonial cacao drink, like a, a a potent like ounce or two ounces of of cacao paste if you will i think yeah lion's mane is a super common one i think it's very helpful for the neuro uh, building new neural connections and neuroplasticity in the brain um, and actually what's coming for microglow is i'm going to be launching four different blends with various medicinal mushrooms um, that you could you know take add to your microdose at home and so the blends are going to be like here's your morning time blend here's your like midday blend here's your afternoon blend that kind of thing but what i actually think is what i'm passionate about is including enough of these additional ingredients so that you're actually getting an effective daily dose so i love like i've tried so many different blends and they're awesome and i love that people are stoked about these like 14 different things that they're putting in it but i'm i'm always like how much how much of that you know, shilajit or whatever am I actually getting in this one little capsule if you've got all these other things in it. And so I'm I'm actually about like getting a higher dose, keeping it more simple, like two to three ingredients. I have one blend that's eight, but my recommendation is that you take like one to two grams of these blends with your microdose so that you're actually getting you're actually getting the benefits, I think. It's more effective. Okay, and now let's let's build off of that and talk about your morning routine because I think you know you talk to so many entrepreneurs like what you do when you get out of bed and when you get out of bed like there's so many different approaches and like how to use your time and of course I think some people reject some of that and being like we're not machines you know like we we need, we need to enjoy our lives too but there's something to be said for developing constructive and healthy habits and that's something I'm always trying to push you know and certainly being the social extrovert I am like I go to a lot lot of parties and I've run up into this resistance of like trying to lead an organization, be involved with these different companies and like wine and dine and do all that. And like, it's exhausting. You know, sometimes you're just like, shit, like, what am I doing? I'm burning the candle at both ends. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear about for you, like what's your typical morning routine on a microdosing day look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I will say, I love that you shared that because I'm, I, over the last year or so, I've become much more flexible and given myself more grace with this. There was a period where I was like so hard on myself and I'm like, if I don't get up at 6am and meditate for two hours and you know, that whole vibe. And it's like, I, I don't, for me, that actually served me for a while and then it didn't serve me anymore. It was, it was putting too much pressure on myself. It's not necessarily realistic. Like I have a partner. I want to like cuddle in bed sometimes, or like, I'm also a woman. I have hormonal shifts. Like that's just something that I've gotten really honest with myself about that. It's okay. If there's like a week where I just kind of lounge in bed for a while, right? Like it doesn't make me any more or less spiritually connected, but all that said, when I do microdose, I find journaling is like one of the biggest, biggest, like that's my non-negotiable when I'm microdosing because that will get my juices flowing. It just like opens up, like, you know, things can just get stuck and stagnant, I feel like in my brain. And so when I, when I just free light, free write for like three pages in the morning, and sometimes that will go on and on, that's when I get the best you know, ideas. That's when I clarify certain projects. That's when I get the most inspiration and I have it written down so I can actually act on it. Right. So that for me is, is like the most important thing that I do. 
I also noticed that part of your protocol, according to your website, is breath work, or you you may be doing some breath work. What does that look like? Do you, are you uh, doing breath work 15 minutes a day? Are you doing deep dives? What does that protocol part of the uh, microdosing look like? Yeah. So the breath work that I do is actually, it's, it's not what people expect when they hear breath work. I think like these days we're so used to breath work being more of the activating holotropic breath work. But what I'm actually working, the practice that I've learned is called breath of the soul. And it's, it's activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's actually a rest it's like a restful centering breath work that I actually usually do either before bed or right when I wake up. Um, so it's something that, you know, it's like elongated, gentle breaths. You're breathing into that. You find the center in your body and you're breathing into that place. And there's a lot more to it, but it's um, for me, it's helped me just find my center and feel really solid throughout my day. So I don't necessarily pair that like right after I microdose. Um, although I will say like holotropic breathwork and, and more activating breathwork with microdosing is pretty epic. Like you can definitely move some, some emotional content there and it can be really powerful. Well, I sincerely hope that more people in the United States and elsewhere contract you for your services because we are facing a mental health crisis right now. And no matter how many times it gets talked about, it's still kind of underreported. I was at Meet Delic this year in Las Vegas. And one of the facts that stuck out with me was Matt Stang, who the Stang family put on Meet Delic and they're behind the, the organization. And he used to own High Times and sold it. So one of the things he said that stuck out to me is that last year suicidality was four times higher than it's ever been on record and this is one of those things that just doesn't get talked about like when you flip on the news or you're scrolling through reddit like how often do you see that statistic in the context of all of the other health challenges and concerns we're facing but like suicidality up 4x and i know that's driving a lot of the research in the military and the acceptance for plant medicines and for entheogens etc is that there there isn't a fix right now and there have actually been i believe 20 times as many veterans and soldiers have have committed suicide or create killed themselves as have been killed in conflict and like there's something really wrong here and our current systems aren't working so i really hope that more people start kind of taking that leap of faith like you did you know and just start saying like I need to change directions. I need to find something that works or or maybe not even for them. Maybe someone's listening. It's like, you're not even interested in this, but you might have a cousin or an uncle or an aunt or something. And that's really where I see my my narrative going is like trying to reach those hard to reach people because I come from a very traditional background and I come from the background where I see people who could, I think, could really benefit from some of these mind expanding or mind opening experiences, but like they're clinging on to what they know and are just that leap of faith requires so much courage. So, so shout out to all you all who have taken that leap of faith. So before we drop out today, let me touch base with you about what you're working on right now. Like what's, what's happening. I know you've got your container going on. What can we look forward to on the horizon for Microglow? Yeah, so I'm really heads down getting my new business fully launched. So I have the Instagram out there, which is where you're seeing that 30-day container. But I'm, you know, building a brand, getting a website uh, developed, you know, developing these new products, these blends that I mentioned earlier, and all the things that go into that. So moving into a new office space. I mean, there's just so much happening so quickly. But that is going to be launched March 21st. So spring equinox in the Northern Hemisphere 
look out for it, check it out. I hope I hope that some people on this podcast resonate with it. So that's my birthday, March 21st, spring baby. What's up? Yeah, everybody always asks like, what sign are you? I'm like, Aries, kind of? Like I'm a cusper, you know? I can't. I was born at 4.20 a.m. on the first day of spring. It's like that's something I'm pretty stoked about. Yeah, so yeah, we'll totally follow up with that and uh, you know share in our Instagram stories and whatnot as you're doing that. And that actually, I wanna riff off that for a second because I'm curious about hiring a team or like building your team because there's a lot of folks out there who have these really cool visions and they have, in some cases, like established businesses. And that's something that comes up a lot is like, how do you distribute? How do you delegate? When is it time to build a team? Because there are people who do everything themselves and that's awesome, but that's a ton of work and a ton of pressure. And I'm fortunate. My wife is a media production professional with major league experience. And like, she's so busy. She almost never helps with the podcast, but like to get it off the ground, having that vote of confidence of like, oh, we got major league audio engineers on this. Like, it's awesome. And now I'm starting to get to the point, I've got this website and the domain name we've launched. And like, I'm thinking, man, it might be time to bring someone on board, but I'm just curious if that's something you've navigated, like how to collaborate, how to do it distance wise, you know, and and working remotely. Can you just speak on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I, it sounds kind of, I don't know, pithy, but it's like, for me, it was like, I wasn't ready until I was ready. I've always had tons of visions. I've always done all the things myself, but this, when this business came through, I was like, all right, I'm actually ready to invest the money, to invest the time, to hire, you know, a a legit brand strategist, you know, and really bring this vision to form. And so I also, um, one thing that really helped me was I I know based on the gene keys, which is kind of like an astrology personality system, sort of like human design that I really resonate with. So I got to know myself through that profile. And one of my key one of my keys is that I'm a manager. Like I, that's how I kind of operate. And so I finally have become more comfortable with just embracing my managerial skills. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at having the vision and telling people to do things. It's pretty hard for me to like do all the things like when that's where I get stuck. And so I think knowing yourself as an entrepreneur, it takes time. It's not immediate, but that that's really helped me. And then there's kind of this, this point where you're just, you just leap. You're just like, I'm ready to level up because when you do expand your team, you're going to grow. You're going to be able to do a lot more. You're going to be able to reach more people. You're going to be able to bring your visions into form a lot more quickly. So there's also that getting that discomfort of like, Ooh, am I ready? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to like really go there yet. Um, and so I think that a lot of it's just like internal work, right. Of of like getting comfortable and, and just taking a leap. Sure. And I'd like to just contribute that through doing this podcast, I've been given a peek under the hood at some amazing companies and the people running them. And one of the takeaways that I've had is that they don't always have their shit figured out. You know, there's this like, there's this idea we have looking from the outside that like, this is such a smooth operation these people have put together and like everything is always figured out. But like, that is not true at all. There's a lot of judgment calls involved. There's a lot of kind of like failed efforts that you just don't hear about. Right. So I think that's for people listening who are on that fence and who are like, I want to do this. Like you don't have to have it figured out. You just have to get going with it. It's never about you figuring it out as yourself, lean into the community, lean into your vision and do it unapologetically. So that's my piece. Sina from Microglow, thank you so much for joining us on the Micropreneur Podcast. It's been awesome to touch base. We'll be following your work and let us know if there's any way you want to collaborate in the future. Amazing. Thank you so much. 
There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Michaelpreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Michaelpreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Michaelpreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Michaelpreneur podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.